how are you going at living free? How are you going at enjoying the newness of life that Jesus Christ has given you? How are you going living in the authority given you in Jesus' name? How are you going at avoiding the dangers that can trip us up in our walk with him? How are you going at living free, being crucified in Christ, because those who are dead are free from sin, we're told in Romans. How are you going at living free? Because today, we're going to keep looking at the theological realities that are revealed to us in the book of Galatians. And that's the whole thing Paul is trying to get across about living free, living in victory, living in abundance. Not because we ourselves are anything special, but because the God in whom we serve has made us free. The God in whom we follow and have trusted has delivered us from this present evil age who has enabled us by his spirit to live free. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to look at just a small passage here. Once again, I'd like to reiterate and encourage you, read through the book of Galatians. Read through the book of Galatians with the mindset of Paul's love for this church to experience the fullness that Jesus Christ offers. The fullness that a lot of us desire but fail to experience because we are burdened down with so many other things. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer and then we'll do our Bible. Actually, no, we'll do our Bible reading first. Uh, If you look, we're going to start at verse 6 of Galatians chapter 4 and we'll read through to verse 9. Follow along with me. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are no longer slaves. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to the temptations of this world because you have set us free. You, through your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who rose again from the dead, and who through faith in him has made us a new creation, you have made us your child so that we are no longer slaves, we are no longer bound to this world, to this world, but captured by your love, captured by your grace, captured by your goodness. And I pray as we look at your word this morning, you will open our eyes to see these wondrous truths and that you will excite our hearts with more of yourself. Father, please teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Now, I don't have any three-point sermon for you today. We're just going to look at this passage of Scripture a little bit of a time and look at some other references within that passage of Galatians chapter 4. Because what I like, what I like are these what are five words, and it begins in verse 6. It says this, Because you are his sons and daughters, because you are his sons, because you are his children, one of my reoccurring lines when looking at the Scriptures has often been, because of who you are. When you look at the way the Scriptures are broken down, because of who you are, then ABC takes place. Then this should happen. The one title, the one title here speaks to one of the greatest positions given to us as people and meets one of the greatest needs that all humanity longs for, that of belonging, that of love, that of belonging to a family and being loved within that family, that of belonging to a kingdom and being loved in that kingdom. This is what comes with that one word, sons, or child, or daughter. The fact that we are now the sons and daughters of God. We are made sons and daughters through him who loved us. The fact that the creator of the universe has made us his children is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be overlooked. It is not something to be dismissed because God in his sovereignty, God in his goodness has taken us from a state of immaturity, has taken us from a state of bondage, of, you know, of being underage and of being enslaved, as it talks about in verse 1, and put us in this position of being his child, of being a son and a daughter. In verses 1 to 3, if you've got your Bibles open, look at just verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4. It says this, what, am, what I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. I really like the way it's worded. The connection is made in verse 3, how we are like people who are underage. That we are like an heir or a slave, shall I say, and, and we're referred to as being as underage and in slavery. See, the similarities between an heir and a slave is due to the fact that both of them are under subjection to the master of the estate. Both of them fall under the master's authority, and both of them are subject to the master's will. Thus, both show a captivity, or both show a bondage to the spiritual forces of this world, because the perfect law of God, as it says in Psalm 19:7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, is that law that reveals the bondage that we're in. And the reason I say that is because in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, we read this. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. See, what the law does is reveal to us our bondage. What the law does is reveal to us our slavery. And the reason why an heir and a slave are similar is because both of them are under, are under the subjection of that law. The change takes place for the heir 
once the time set by the Father has been fulfilled or has been reached. And that's why we read in verses 4 and 5 this, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption to sonship. There's an example that was given to me by, I believe his name was Kevin Pitchford, one of my lecturers at college. And he talked about how back in those days, you would have an heir and you'd have a slave. And what the father would do was actually entrust his son, his heir, to his head slave. And what that head slave would then do would actually would raise the son in all the workings and in all the functionings of the estate. Why? Because this, the head slave was in charge of all that. So we teach him that this is what you do, this is what you do, this is how it works, etc., etc., etc. And then once that time had been reached, once he was well equipped in those things, then he went from being on the same level as a slave to that of being the heir of the estate. And then he likened that to us. He said, this is where we were. And then the Holy Spirit, in his goodness, revealed to us the fullness that is found in Jesus Christ. He opened our eyes. He softened our hearts. That when we were born again of the Spirit, what happened? We then became receivers of the fullness of God in Christ. And that in him, through faith in him, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That we now have been equipped to be his child and to fulfill all the functionings within the call that he has placed in our lives. That through the person of Jesus Christ, through his birth, through his life, through his teaching, through his death and his sacrifice, his resurrection and his ascension, we have made available to us the avenue to be redeemed from slavery. That word redeemed means to be purchased, to be redeemed from captivity, to, re, to be redeemed from sin's separating war. And in that redemption, we then receive what? Adoption. We receive liberty. We receive reconciliation. We go from being apart to being adopted. We go from slavery to sonship. And in that new privileged position, we are blessed not only to belong, but also to be indwelt. See, we are, we are redeemed to belong. We are redeemed to belong. And in that belonging, we are then indwelt. Because we read later on in that verse, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart. So we are redeemed by Christ's blood and then brought into his family by Christ's spirit, by the Holy Spirit, from God the Father who sent him into our hearts. You read this in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. That the triune God, that all three members of the Godhead are at work in our justification from sin, in our redemption from sin, and in our sanctification from this world's enslavement to free us to his own kingdom, from this kingdom to his own kingdom. And you read that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. And the reason I say that, it means for, our, for us, as his child, his spirit does the following to us. He seals us according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. The Spirit is in us, which means he changes us. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. 
the Spirit who is with us and teaches us in John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27. I'll read that one to you. Actually, it says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Verse 27, As for you, the anointing you received from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So not only does he seal us or change us and teach us, the Holy Spirit that works through us as well. He enables us in Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 to 20. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what they say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. These are four things, four of numerous things that the Holy Spirit does within us and how he works through us. But it is all done so for the purpose of us being able to live free for him. This is done for us, not so we can live how we want and however we want. It is done so that we might live for Jesus, to live as his child. All this involvement is not because we have anything of value to offer. All this involvement is not because I'm special in any way. It is done so because God is special. It is because God is good. It is because God is merciful. And it's because God has allowed me and you to be a part of that. He has enabled us because he wants us to experience the fullness of him. That's why. Not so I can sit around and do nothing. His spirit that not only makes me his child, also makes me his witness. When you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which many of you would know, but it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All of this involvement, all of this equipping, all of this working to us, in us, with us, and through us is done so that I could be his witness. The spirit of power comes upon me to be a witness, not to be comfortable, to be a witness, not so I can kick back and relax, to be a witness so I can live free. That's why the spirit of God comes. And not only that, not only to be a witness and reveals to us not only to whom we belong, but we also read about the privilege that we have been given as his witness, as having the Spirit. Because we read further on, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. The Spirit to be able to address him personally. The Spirit that enables him to address me personally. Do you realize the extent of that privilege? Do you realize the extent of and how precious that is? that you and I and Jesus Christ can call God Father. And then he says to you, son. That he says to you, daughter. Do you realize how special that is? Do you realize how valuable that is? Do you realize what that means to belong to somebody so great? 
That's amazing. There is no, okay, my, my eldest boy, my eldest boy, my son Nathaniel, he's a good kid. And all through his life, from when he was young to he's 26 now, but we still call him the same thing, our term of endearment, our term of love for him. You know what we call him? You know what his nickname is? Son. That's it. Hey, son. I have, I have one more little nickname that I have for him, which is just boy. Really creative, eh? Really creative. It's on my phone when he rings. It says, boy, Helg. It's like, okay. But that's a term of endearment. I don't call anybody else boy. If I call anyone else boy, if I call Adam boy, that's not a term of endearment. That's an insult. What are you doing, boy? That's, that's different. And there's no way I'm going to call Adam son unless it's, unless it's an insult. What are you doing, son? Come on now, son. That's an insult. No, no, no. That's an insult. When I, okay, I don't, I don't use it in that term. We have been given, we have this term of endearment, this privileged title entrusted to us by the Spirit of God where God calls me son. Where God calls you daughter. Where God says to you, child, my child. This is what has been entrusted to us. And because now that fullness of time had come to us in Jesus Christ, you read in verse 7 this, that we are no longer a slave, but God's child. We are no longer a slave. That's why we sang this word. We are no longer a slave to fear. We are no longer a slave to this world. We are no longer a slave to, to all those things that weigh us down. All those, we're no longer a slave to our mortgage. We're no longer a slave to our careers. We're no longer a slave to our goals of this world, but God's child. Why is that so special? Because since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Did you know? That right now in Jesus Christ, you have been made royalty. You are a son and daughter of the king. You are now a prince and a princess because you are connected to the creator of the universe as your father. That is something to boast about. You will read this in a couple of chapters. That is something to boast about. Not to boast in this world, but to boast in Christ and Him crucified. You see, His Spirit indwells me so I can be His witness. He seals me by His Spirit because I am His child. I am changed by His Spirit from the inside out for His pleasure. I am His handiwork, and I move in His purposes and empowered by His Spirit to do His work. None of it is so I can sit back and glory in how great I am because I'm not. I am not. I am a wretched man that I am. Oh, woe is me, for I am undone. It is done to His transforming work is done in me so that I can be about his will and not mine. And what's insane is that us being about his purposes and his will is that he has given us everything to be able to complete that, everything to be able to do that, everything to be able to fulfill that. He's given us his equipping. You see, the previous truths laid out by Paul for us, the church, is contrasted to where we are now 
with what we were. If you read in verse 8, you see, according to verse 8, we read of our state before we knew God. In verse 8, it says, Formerly you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. And you see this around all the time, don't you? You see people worshipping celebrities. You see people worshipping sports stars. You see people worshipping the dollar. You see people worshipping their careers. You see people worshipping their spouses. You see people worshipping their kids. You see people worshipping political figures. These are all not gods. See, you know what you were like before you came to Jesus. I know what I was like before I came to Jesus. Even if you're from a Christian home or religious home, you know your sinfulness. You know the things that you prioritized. You know the things that you were selfish about. I, if I was to be honest, I know of my own arrogance growing up as a kid. Everybody said to me, Joe, you're a nice guy. Yeah, I am. Joe, he's really generous. He's really helpful. Yeah, I am. And I, I look back and look, was I a bad kid? No. No, I thought I was a good kid. I still think I was a good kid. But I also know my own selfishness. I also know how many things I did either to look good in front of my parents, look good in front of my siblings, look good in front of girls, look good in front of teachers, look good in front of other sports people that I, when I played sport. I realized how much stuff I'd done for me and how my whole life revolved around me. Not knowing, not knowing that I was enslaved to those things. I was enslaved to those things and I needed God in his grace that while in my enslavement, doomed to hell because of that sin, God in his grace intervened in my life. There are these two amazing words within scripture, which I think are two of the greatest words ever. But God. But God. Adam and Eve sin and deserve judgment, but God clothes them in animal skins. The world is going to be destroyed in a flood because every thought of mankind was wickedness continually, but God. The nation of Israel that, that failed time and time and time again and went apostate and forsook God over and over and over again, but God. You and I, in our sinfulness, in our defiance, in our self-reliance, in our desire to live autonomously or independent from God, but God. Ephesians chapter 2, 4, but God who is rich in mercy and his great love wherewith he loved us. But God, in Romans chapter 5, 8, we read, but God commends his love toward us that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God, that even as his children, he disciplines us. And then we read in verse 9 the consequence of God's divine intervention through Jesus Christ. But now that you know God, think on that for a second. For you who were separate from him, for you that was independent from him, for you that didn't want anything to do with God, for you that want to sit there while God's there, you want to have your back toward him, God in his grace turned us around. God in his grace caused us to repent and look into the cross looking to the sacrifice he made for us, but God stepped in. And that's why we look at this. Now that you know God, we know God. We know him. We don't just know about him. 
We know him relationally. Everything Paul's talking about in Galatians is for the church, is for us to know him relationally. Not to know him religiously, not to know him through activity, to know him as a person, to know him as father to whom we call. Psalm 89, 26 says this, He will call out to me, You are my Father, my God, the rock of my salvation, the rock, my Savior. We know him as Lord to whom we are subject. In Psalm 33, we read, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. We know him as creator to whom all things belong. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. We know him as love, as shown by his very nature, like I shared before. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we're yet sinners Christ died for us. We know him as judge who does so in righteousness and fairness. Psalm 75, 7, it is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. We know God as holy, holy, pure, and absent of ulterior motives. Isaiah 6, 3, they're calling to one another holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. If you have a listen on the church devotion wall, I posted uh, uh, That's My King by S.M. Lockridge, Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge. Have a listen to it because he gives a wonderful description of this particular verse when he says, when the angels want to cry to describe the greatness of God, one angel cried out and said, holy. Then another angel said, tried to think up something better and said, what can I say that's greater than that? And he said, I can't think of anything better than holy. And then the third one says, well, I, I can add to that. I can, I can think I can add holy. He says, that's all they could come up with because it just exemplified the sheer greatness that every aspect of his nature, every aspect of his character is wholly pure. That is holy love, that is holy good, that is holy merciful. Even his judgment is holy. That's how we know him. That's how we know him. And that we know him as sovereign who holds our very lives in his hands. Psalm 141 verse 8. But my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. We know him. Wait a minute. We know him. Do you? I guess that's a question that has to be sort of attached to this. Do you know Jesus? Do you know God? Do you know and have you submitted your lives to him who loved you and gave himself for you? Because we can play church. We can say we know God, but that knowledge is to be reflected in how we live, in whom we trust, and what we prioritize. We know him Yes, we know the God of creation, for he revealed himself to us by his spirit in the person of Jesus Christ. But knowing him pales in comparison to this beautiful act of being known by him. That's something different. 
it is great that we know God and we know God in all of this magnificence, but to be known by him. Uh, for those of you who know, I work at a high school and one of, the, one of the students, he went to the US. I've used this illustration before for the years at home. You probably all remember this. But there's one young fellow, great basketball player, great basketball player. He got a scholarship to play basketball over in the US. And uh, he got a scholarship at a university in San Francisco. He was working at the Golden State Warriors, um, uh, Oracle Arena, I think it is. He was working there as well, getting free tickets, all that stuff. He was, he was aiming, aiming to go all the way. And I says to him, I says to him, bro, if you make it in the NBA, can I say that I know you? And he goes, yeah, man. Yeah. And he goes, actually, nah, tell you what, man. Can you say you know me? Because that's a big difference, isn't it? It's a big difference. I can walk around and say, yeah, I knew knew this guy when I was in high school, you know. But while he's on TV being interviewed and he says, oh, yeah, I just want to say, hey, Joe, how you going? You know, it'd be good. Can you imagine the difference? Hey, man, he mentioned your name. Can you imagine the difference? Can you imagine? That's the difference. It's great to say you know somebody, but to be known by somebody, especially somebody of importance, that's something different. It's like when I went to Carissa's work. People were wondering why I was there, but I was known by Carissa. And because I was known by Caris, they accepted me. I was even, I think it was one of her bosses that was there. She introduced me to them. But because I was with Caris, he was like, how are you going? I'm very well, thank you, sir. I'm supposed to be here. That, you see the difference? You, but do you see the difference? It's like when you look at the Apostle John. The Apostle John, how did he refer to himself in his gospel? He said, the one whom Jesus loves. Correct? 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 Correct. Correct. Sorry. Correct? I apologize. I'm just getting excited. But I heard a preacher say this. He says, well, okay, would you much rather entitle yourself, I'm the one whom Jesus loves, or the one that Jesus loved? The one who Jesus loved is far more humbling. The one whom Jesus loved. This is our position. This is what we have. We are known by God, like Moses who is known by God. He knows each one of us by name. You look at like Moses, Exodus 33, 17. He knows him by name. Like Jeremiah, he was formed, before he was formed of the womb in Jeremiah 1, 5, he was known and set apart. He knows every strand on our heads, or on your heads. He knows every strand of hair on your head. He knows you by name. He knows our comings and goings in Isaiah 37, 28. The fact that he knows us Not because we are noteworthy, but because he is God and he is good. We are known by him because of Jesus as his child. We are known by him because of Jesus as his bond servant. We are known by him because of Jesus as a bearer and proclaimer of his message. We are known by him because of Jesus as a part of his family, as a part of his body, as a part of his church. To know and be known by him is to know life and to know love. It is to know freedom. It is to know goodness. It is to know kindness. It is to know righteousness. It is to know judgment. It is to know purpose. It is to know true direction, to know Jesus Christ and to be known by him. That is the greatest of privileges of all, of, of all existence, that God knows you by name. That God hears when you're hurt. That God understands when you're burdened. That God would send the Spirit to you to comfort you in those times of deep hurt and of deep pain. But also 
to be alongside you and experience the greatness of victory and triumphs by Jesus' name. And if this then is what we know, Paul gives this huge exhortation at the end of verse 9. How is it then that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? It's like, how can I put it this way? I've been married 27 years, and I'm so thankful that I'm married. Do I want to be single again? No. No. You single people, I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that's, okay. There's nothing wrong with being single, okay? Let, let me just, I, I, like, I was sharing this with a brother just recently. Sometimes we at the church, we think that the ultimate goal of singlehood is to get married. And then the ultimate goal of being married is to have kids. And then the ultimate goal to have, have kids is to have grandkids. And we sometimes do this. You be content in your t- season of life. God has you single, praise God, God has you single. Then you can best devote your time to him. God has you as a married couple, then praise God, you're a married couple. You can best devote your time as a married couple to him. You're blessed with children, then praise God, you're blessed with children because you can invest into their lives for the kingdom of God. You, got grand, you want to be grandparents? Well, praise God that you've got grandkids that you can invest into and show the love of God to the grandkids. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not making fun of single people, even though that's what it sounded like, and it actually was, but I apologize. <laughs> I apologize for that. But do you, know, you understand what I mean? Okay. But here's the thing. Why on earth would we go back to the very things we had so much difficulty with? Why would we go back to the very things that weighed us down? Why would we go back to the very things that made us un- worthless? Why would we go back to, to the world that says you have to be this, be this, and be this when you're fulfilled in who you are in Jesus Christ? Why would you go back to that? Why, when you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, do you want to return to those miserable things that have no life in them? To those miserable things that, give, that leave you empty? To those miserable things that give you no purpose. Why do we want to be enslaved over them all again? It's like, you know, it's like Daniel. We, we need to be like Daniel who refused to have the king's delicacies because he found a feast awaiting him at the Lord's table. That's what he found. He saw being in prayer with God as feeding his very spirit and his very soul rather than eat at the king's table. It was harmful for him back then. And so why then do we try to find the king's delicacies and try to find our fulfillment in the king's delicacies, in the things of this world? Because what will happen is this, that when we start feasting on the things of the world, it will never be enough. It will never be. It's like drinking seawater. You just find thirst after thirst after thirst. That's everything that the world has to offer. It's an ocean of seawater that is limited and will make you thirsty for more. When instead, in the person of Jesus Christ, we find not only satisfaction, but far beyond anything we could ask or imagine. That's what we find in Jesus Christ. To find satisfaction in him. Not satisfaction in that which does not satisfy. Not calmness in the realm of chaos. Not lasting purpose in that which is only temporary, but rather in him who is eternal. In him who is our God. Why would we want to go back there? Why would you want to go back to bondage when the joy and freedom has been, sorry, when the joy of freedom has been tasted? Do you want to to forsake such freedom for something that will leave you empty, like the recognition of man or a pay rise 
or a status symbol, a promotion even, or maybe just human adoration. Why would you want that when we have been set free from such things by Jesus Christ, who has given us this privilege of being called his child, the privilege of being indwelt by his spirit, the privilege of being set free from slavery, of being known by God, of being redeemed, of being sealed, of being changed, of being taught, of being enabled, of being God's child, to have our contentment met in that to long for contentment, something more than that. To long for contentment that's more than what God has given us in Christ may mean that we don't really understand who God is, what Jesus has done, and how the Spirit has moved in us. If we try to find contentment in, other th- in things other than that, then maybe we didn't really understand the gospel in the first place. For all aspects of our life have been met more than enough by the grace of Jesus Christ. So with that, brothers and sisters, I'm going to close in prayer and then I'm going to close with a song to remind us that we are no longer slaves to what was, but rather we are children of God, set free to live for him. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are humbled, so humbled by the privileged position that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Christ we not only know you, but are known by you. We thank you so much that in Jesus Christ you have made us a part of your family that you have made us new creations, that you have washed our sin away through the blood of Christ and made us new. I pray that you will help us as your children to truly value this privileged position that has been given to us, that we would cherish it, that we would protect it, that we would value it because we are in this world, but we are no longer of this world because you have sealed us. So, Father, we are excited at the work that you are continuing to do in GCC and pray that you will continue this work you started and bring it to fruition where it will be glorifying to your name in every aspect, not only corporately as a church, but also for each one of us as individuals. Please, please help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters.